So far in the book of Zechariah, we've looked at the first six chapters, and we've encountered a series of visions given to the prophet Zechariah about God's promise to the returned exiles of a new Jerusalem with a new temple that surpasses the old in glory. But here in Zechariah chapter 7 to 8, the mode of revelation shifts from an emphasis on visions to specific words, words about Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future. And despite the difference in the mode of the message, the content remains the same. Israel must not only return to the land, but also to the Lord. They must not only rebuild the temple, but they must also rebuild their true worship and obedience. It does no good to come back to the land if they have not returned in their hearts in faith, trusting in the Lord. And when the Lord acts among his people, he not only brings about peace and prosperity, but purification from sin. No man leaves unchanged when he encounters God, when God dwells in our midst. And there's no greater threat to God's people than a heart that hears his word, but does not heed it. And so the challenge of Zechariah 7 to 8 is a challenge to repent of our sins and believe the great gracious promises of God. This is Understanding Zechariah. Zechariah chapters 7 and 8 jump two years in time to the fourth year of King Darius, the ruler of Persia, and his reign. As a result, these two chapters serve as a kind of bridge between Zechariah 1 through 6 and 9 through 14. So two years into the temple rebuilding project, God delivers a message to his people. Repent of your hypocrisy and injustice. That's the message of chapter 7. And prepare for a time of restoration and blessing. That includes not only Israel, but the nations of the world, and that's chapter 8. So let's look at the first section, chapter 7, which is a call for repentance of hypocrisy and injustice. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sharazer and Regem Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets, when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? with her cities around her, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention, and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Zechariah 7 features two words from the Lord. 
Prophets operated as spokesmen for God. They came as messengers from heaven, delivering the decrees and judgments of the Lord into specific situations in Israel's life. And the specific situation that God addresses through Zechariah centers around a group of men from Bethel who entreat the priests about whether or not they should weep and abstain in the fifth month, as they have done for many years. Now, during the exile, the Jews observed a solemn fast that commemorated the fall of the first temple and the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon in 587 BC. So this is probably a tradition that they had been keeping up during their time of exile. But now that Israel is back in the land, certain people are wondering whether it's appropriate to continue these fasts. After all, we're in a time of rebuilding and restoration. Is it right to do this or not? And Zechariah responds with a startling answer. And it basically amounts to this. When you guys fasted, did you do it for me or for yourselves? In other words, Zechariah is aligning himself with the prophets of old and their message. The, the, the former prophets uh, spoke to Israel during their time of peace and prosperity before the exile, and they had this message. Listen to Isaiah 29, 13. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and then he talks about judgment. So the reason that he's going to judge them is because they have this hypocrisy, that they're, that they're drawing near with their mouth, they're, they're honoring with their lips, they're, they're saying all the right things, they have all this external conformity to the law and the rituals, but their hearts are twisted and corrupted. They don't actually love God with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They are hypocrites. And so the men from Bethel, with their lofty concern about ritual fast, they're overlooking the weightier matters of the law rendering true judgments, showing kindness and mercy to one another, caring for widows, the fatherless, the, so the sojourners, and the poor. Their seemingly pious question about fast betrays the hardness of their hearts. Zechariah says, you, you, you guys actually have diamond-hard hearts. You don't actually hear the law. You don't listen to it. You use one area of faithfulness as an excuse for other areas of unfaithfulness. They're self-righteous. And the warning to the present generation of Israel that Zechariah is speaking to is don't make the mistakes of your forefathers. They assumed, oh, because we have a temple, because we do all the sacrifices, because we do all the fasts, we're good. It doesn't matter if we're extorting people, if we're not caring for the poor, if we're actually devising evil plots against one another, because we can pull a fast one on God. As long as we do all the, the religious song and dance, we're going to be fine. And Zechariah is rebuking that mentality. He's rebuking that spirit that, that drawing near with your mouth and honoring with your lips while your heart is far from God. And so the message of the former prophets is the message of Zechariah. The message of the, to the former generations is, is the message to the present generation. Do not refuse to hear the law. Hearing is not just the words going to your ear. It's actually a heartfelt obedience. Now, Israel went into exile because they lived hypocritically. And so the present generation must not make that same mistake. You can't love God and refuse to love your neighbor. Right? Offering sacrifices, fasting on specific days, it means nothing if there's no moral transformation of your soul, of your heart. And that transformation expresses itself most tangibly in our love for our neighbor. So God responds to the men of Bethel with a call to repentance. But this call to repentance always coincides with a promise of the Lord's coming, a promise of his future blessing. And that's the subject of Zechariah 8, verses 1 to 8, a promise of of future peace. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, 
I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. The Lord does not just stop with a word of rebuke to his people. He also gives them a word of hope. I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. God's wrath and jealousy don't sound like good news until we understand his relationship with Israel. If you look at the book of Hosea, God likens Israel to a runaway bride whom he feels jealous for when other men abuse her. Their abuse brings out his husbandly wrath, and her infidelity rightfully incurs his jealousy. It's what you would expect from someone who loves their spouse. Jealousy and wrath come from God's love for his people. And throughout the Old Testament, the coming of the Lord is his day of judgment and salvation. When the Lord came to Egypt, he brought salvation for those who trusted in him and judgment for those who rejected him. And here the Lord is coming not to Egypt, but to Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, in order to secure its eternal peace. Men and women will grow into old age, and kids are going to play safely in the streets. It's this image of peace and prosperity. And the remnant, which is a reference in the Old Testament to God's faithful people, they're going to experience life with God in full. And once again, we see this this oft-repeated promise that sums up all of God's promises. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Adam walked with God in the garden. And what he lost fundamentally in the fall is communion with God, a proper relation to God. And that's what we were created for. And all the other blessings of God mean nothing if we don't first find restoration of fellowship and communion with God. That's the central promise of the entire Bible. You will be my people. I will be your God. The great blessing God gives in the gospel is himself. And whenever the Lord dwells with his people, they experience peace, prosperity, and blessing. And all this will come to fruition in this new Jerusalem. But this future promise of peace calls God's people to present faithfulness. There's still work to be done. We're not just sitting around waiting for this future to come, but we have a part to play. Listen to verses 9 to 23 of chapter 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. 
Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. In light of God's promise of restoration, his people must let their hands be strong. From the day that they laid the foundation to the temple until now, the prophets have spoken with one voice. Keep building. Trust God. Don't let fear get in the way of faithfulness. In the former days, God disciplined his people with chaos and war and exile, but now he will sow peace. The land that God once made barren through exile will now spring forth with life and fertility and vitality. Vines are going to give fruit. The ground will give its produce. The heavens will drip dew. And God's remnant, once seen as a curse by the nations, will once again be favored by God, will receive God's blessing. But listen to the logic. As I purpose to bring disaster, so again have I pursued in these days to bring good. In other words, God's judgments actually demonstrate his faithfulness. Right? A kid's not going to trust his parent if the parent fails to follow through on consequences for disobedience. A parent who's worth trusting is going to bind themselves to their words, even if that word is a word of discipline. And in the same way, when it comes to God, you want to know that God is actually faithful to his word. So when he says, if you commit idolatry, I'm going to kick you out of the land. If you sin against me, there's going to be consequences. And when those consequences fall, it shows that God is real. He is active. He is watching and he does know. And he is going to be faithful to act upon his word. And so if he's, if he's going to be faithful in the way he judges, then he's going to be faithful in the way that he saves as well. His promise of blessing is as sure as his promise of judgment. So don't fear. The God who exiled us is the God who will restore us. Think about this too. The exile, this is the most tumultuous, devastating moment in Israel's history, is still under the purview of God's sovereignty. God, not Babylon, not Persia, is the one who calls the shots. He determines the destiny of Israel. The exile didn't happen when he like fell asleep, took a nap, and then suddenly an army conquered his people. He purposed the exile. In response to his word, they had disobeyed. That's the terms of the covenant. But also he purposed it in order to renew Israel, in order to purify them, in order to discipline them and train them to be something greater than they were before. So they're not a victim to the chaotic forces of history. God is calling the shots. No one else. And if he can purpose the destruction of the old Jerusalem, then he can certainly purpose the rebuilding of the new. If he was faithful in judgment, he will be faithful in blessing and in restoration. And if this is true, that calls us to ethical reformation, right? Zechariah says you need to speak the truth to each other. You need to repent of devising evil in your heart against one another. Stop swearing false oaths because God reigns over all. And isn't that the problem for most of us? We think that we can pull a fast one on God as if he doesn't know everything going on in our minds and our hearts, our desires. This is a call to integrity. He knows our hearts. He's going to deal with our sins. And so if you know that God is faithful to his word, it should cause fear, a fear that recognizes nothing slips past him, but also a fear that's in awe that he is the sovereign over all of history, and that he will ensure that his purposes come to pass. And this brings us to the final section in verses 18 to 23, a promise of truth and peace for God's people. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Notice the reversal. You see that word entreat show up multiple times. It's it's kind of a flip. In chapter 7, the men from Bethel are entreating the priests about the feasts and they're rebuked. But here we have another discussion about feasts. And now we have the nations entreating Jews to say, how do we get into the kingdom of God, essentially? How do we get to know this God? How do we experience the blessing? So when God's people are blessed, when this new Jerusalem kind of forms, the nations are grafted in. So the the fourth, fifth, and seventh month fasts uh, are fasts of mourning over key events in Jerusalem's fall. But those those fasts that commemorate times of mourning will be reversed. They will now be times of rejoicing. In other words, he's going to override the memory of the exile with a time of restoration. The latter days will be greater than the former days. God is not just restoring what is lost, but he is taking what is lost and bringing it beyond what it once was. And once again, this promise of God's future grace motivates present obedience. You got to love truth and peace. Not the peace of the world, but the peace of ordering all of life in true worship to the one true God. And you love truth by heeding the word of God through his prophets. That's the message to the people in his generation. But what about the message to our generation? Well, one of the things that we see in the Gospels is that Jesus Christ embodies the story of Israel. He lives out their story. He obeys God perfectly in the wilderness where Israel failed. He gets baptized and crosses the Jordan River into Israel and casts out demons when he's in Israel. And after crossing the Jordan, uh, the Israelites were told to clear out the Philistines, but they failed. But Jesus comes and he clears out all the unclean spirits from the Holy Land. And Jesus on the cross, he takes the sins of God's people upon himself and then rises again. He gets exiled and then he returns to bring about a greater restoration, a resurrection. In short, Jesus Christ is the true Israel who fulfills where Israel failed, who dies on the cross as an exile and rises again, and he brings about the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is the true Israel, then his resurrection is forming a new Israel centered around him. The book of Acts is all about the nations streaming to this new Israel, streaming to Christ, streaming to the church, this heavenly Jerusalem of the church, through the pouring out of the Spirit, where the law gets written on the heart of both Jews and Gentiles who believe. So the New Testament is taking this initial prophecy about a rebuilt temple and stretching it beyond its horizon to a greater and wider fulfillment, and we live in the midst of that. As we see the nations grafted into the body of Christ, Christ calls his own body the true temple that that is destroyed and then rebuilt, is resurrected. And 1 Peter talks about how the church is, is made up of living stones of believers indwelt by the Spirit. That's temple language. So what Jesus is doing as he's living out the story of Israel is he's saying this promise of a new temple, this promise of a new restored Israel, this promise of a new Jerusalem is fulfilled in me. It's fulfilled in my person. And if you are in me, you are in the new Jerusalem. If you are in me, you are in the true temple. And you yourselves are the stones of that temple. And the Great Commission flows from this call. Tell the nations 
how to find favor with the Lord by repenting and believing the gospel. Preach the gospel to the nations. Many people will come to seek the Lord. Many people are there who are drawn in by the message of the gospel. And they're going to take a hold of your robe, right, as a true Jew, one who is circumcised in the heart. And they're going to say, what is this hope that you have? What is this joy that you have? And you're going to tell them. You're going to have a response prepared. You're going to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. See, that's the weird transition that we see in the, in the New Testament from the Old Testament, that all those future promises that seem to be centered around a nation, a land, and a place are actually centered around a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so as you study and as you read the New Testament, keep in mind that temple language. Keep in mind that New Jerusalem language. Keep in mind that Israel language as you see it woven into the fabric of the life of Jesus, the Messiah.